Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Modern Berean. I am Brandon Lockridge. I'm Steve Hogan. And uh, in today's segment, we are getting back into Ephesians, and we are looking at chapter 4. Chapter 4 is chock full of some great, great practical uh, information about the unity of the body. And uh, as we mentioned before, that chapters 1 through 3 are very theological, and then chapters 4 through 6 here in Ephesians is a lot of practical outworking of our faith. And uh, so we're going to get into it here, and uh, let's we're going to read verses 1 through 6, and then we will uh, go back through. Would you like to read verses 1 through 6 for sure. Steve? All right. No, I don't want to. Okay. Well, then I'll go ahead. <laughs> okay. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you have been called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So in chapters 1 through 3, we heard about our privileges as Christians. Uh, we, learned, we learned what it meant for us to become children of God. And uh, now we're going to talk about you know our duties as Christians and what it means to walk the Christian walk, so to speak. And right off the bat, <clears throat> Paul says, therefore. And really, you, you look back when we see that, you know, what, what is therefore, therefore? And so, uh, and, and what is Paul talking about? What's, what's he looking back on? Well, you think about it in, in <clears throat> chapter one through three, you know, we talked about it in the last segment, but there's a lot of theology and doctrine, but it gets into being chosen by God before mm-hmm. the foundation of the world, that you're adopted as his son, that you're mm-hmm. added into his uh, nation of Israel, mm-hmm. his people of God. And, after reading all that and knowing all that, you would think it, it, it could be very easy to become prideful or puffed up mm. or arrogant, like, oh, I'm chosen of God. I can do I can live my life any way I want to. God mm. chose me. And you know, right away Paul takes this chance that knowing all these things that I just told you about who you are, who you've been adopted by, what you've mm. been adopted to. Now I'm going to tell you how you're supposed to live your life. Yeah. In other words, he's kind of saying, hey, since you've been made an adopted child of God, now you're going to act like it. Right. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> and, now, and I'm going to tell you how. But you know what? Something that stands off to, uh, stands out to me right off the bat here, too, is he says, uh, he says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Think about that. Like right now, when he's writing this, Paul is in prison in Rome. And notice how, so he's a prisoner in Rome, but notice how he calls himself a prisoner of the, of the Lord. Lord. And, you know, it's amazing because he's not allowing his current, uh, he's not like wallowing in his current conditions, right? right? He, he knows that he is exactly where God intends to have him, right? right. Yeah. And he, I, you bring up a great point, you know. He's not a prisoner of Caesar. He's right. not, oh man, Caesar arrested me. He's saying, I'm right where God wants mm. me to be right now. Yeah, that's awesome to me. Just the just the perspective and and how much like how um what a testimony that is and 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 how much that speaks to to me when I think about it like 
I think about when I get into tough situations in my life, am I, am I just wallowing in that right. or am I going, you know what? God is, God has me right where he wants me right now. Right. You know, totally. And it, you know, then he takes that point, that chance to say, walk worthy of the vocation where you've been called. And then you might think, well, what does it mean to walk worthy? And he covers that in verse two. He talks about walking with lowliness and, you know, which means humility, meekness, long suffering, you know, Mm. forgiving one another in love. These are all things that, uh, that a Christian should live by. We should be walking in holiness separate from a wicked world, not right. in pride and arrogance, right? Right, exactly. And it shows this dichotomy too, you know, that there's this idea that God is working in you to do his will, but you're also called to walk worthy of the calling that you've been called mm-hmm. by. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you have some, uh, I think, some great references here. First um, <clears throat> Peter chapter 4, verses 2 to 4 says, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the less of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, uh, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. So it's really just highlighting the the way of the world, essentially. Right. And people, when you're when you're done with that, and you're saying that's not my life. I'm not I'm not going that way. They think it's strange that right. you're not engaging with and them, and they right? speak evil of you <laughs> right. for not. And what, really, what it is is you're exposing their sinfulness, and they don't mm-hmm. like that, and they speak evil of you. And then Romans chapter 6, I've often read this chapter at baptisms, but uh, verse 12 to 18, it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves as servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Mm, praise God. Amen. And so basically what Paul's pointing out here is that when you are saved, truly saved, regenerate, that you're going to see this pattern of conforming to God and Christ in your walk mm-hmm. and sin being cut off and tossed away from your life and that we need to make an active effort in our life to do these things, right? Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that in my own life even uh, just as the Lord has done, just taking me through the sanctification process, um, the things that I enjoyed and desired you know, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, slowly fall away. 
And the more I want to do the will of God and right. not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And it is, it is just that sanctification process in which the Lord takes you through and slowly takes those things away from you, takes even the desire away. You know? Right. Yeah, so some questions, you know, do you see, do we see a decreased pattern of sin in our life and a desire to do good? Mm-hmm. You know, do you hate your sin and does it make you upset when you fall short? Um, you know, we've been called to salvation and holiness. And these questions bring up something that I, I wrote a little note here on, but there's this idea in a lot of churches today called the carnal Christian, <laughs> right? Yeah, that uh, I, I never understood that that phrase, yeah, uh, carnal and, Christian, just because it's so, um, it just doesn't make sense. It's, right. it's oxymoron, really. So just to explain to you guys out there, if you've never heard this term, a carnal Christian is someone that has made some type of a profession of faith, whether, mm. you know, they raised their hand at church one day and said they believe, they did an altar call, even a baptism, but there's no change in their life. They no continue, fruit. right. There's yeah. no fruit. They are not following God. They're continuing in sin. Mm. And many churches would say, oh yeah, these people are saved. They raise their hand at church. They're just a carnal Christian, meaning that they're not going to show any fruit. They're not going to change their life. But I think there's there's clear commands and things in scripture that show us this idea isn't true. Yeah. Now, on the flip side of that, though, me and Brandon were just talking today before we started the podcast. We also have to be careful of not being too legalistic, right? Mm. Yeah, sometimes we can get um, frustrated with people and we, we go, you know, why did they not get this? You know, why did they not understand? Why do they not see it? Why are they acting this way? But honestly, I can look back on my life, you know, 12, 13, 14 years ago and go, man, if, if I'm being honest, I'm, I was probably where that person is right now. And so we need to be patient with people. We need mm-hmm. to have grace with them. And we have to realize that, you know, if somebody has a credible profession of faith and they're just, they're young in the faith, but they're working through it and, and the Lord is slowly changing their desires to more godly desires and is slowly taking those sinful desires away from them. We got to be patient with those people, even in things that, you know, theological matters, you know, people that maybe have some theological uh, uh, points and ideas that are a bit off. Maybe the Lord's working in them and they're just, they're coming around and they're diligently seeking and pursuing the Lord and they're pursuing his word um, we just got to be patient and just be careful not to just lambast those people and just, you know, get frustrated with them and go, oh, you guys are, you know, you just, you're, you don't get it. I'm done with you. You know, just not have that attitude. It's, it's not edifying. It's not helpful. So, yeah. And I, I mean, I've seen through uh, the Bible study at my house, people that, you know, one, one friend comes to mind right away, Joe, uh, Joe. And he would show up and at this time he had a drug problem and he, you know, he had a legitimate problem where he needed pain medicine, but he was obviously abusing it. And he would fall asleep on the couch and pass out from the drugs. But little by little, I watched God just give him this desire to read more and know more. And, you know, if I was super legalistic, I mean, after the second time of him coming to study, I could have said, hey, you know, you got to clean up your act, beat it. 
Yeah. But but I saw God working in his life and I was patient with him. And, you know, fast forward a few years and now Joe currently, as of today, is actually in Israel, in Jerusalem, teaching a Bible class mm. for three months. So those are the things that awesome. if you're patient, you can watch God do these amazing things in people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that actually really rolls in perfectly to verse two here because it says... Uh, with uh, and and I'm I'm going to read through verse three as well, actually two and three. Paul says, "With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace." I mean, this is exactly what you're saying here. I mean, that that you know, be, forbearing with one another and and long suffering. You know, that's being patient. Right. You know, and and. Well, we uh, all want Christ to be patient with us, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then we don't want to be patient with other people. Yeah, exactly. Matthew Henry has this great quote uh, that I wrote down here. It says, We do not walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called if we be not faithful friends to all Christians and sworn enemies to all sin. I love that. I do love yeah. that. That's awesome. Yeah. But you know what? I think what's interesting is when you look at that, when it says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, I mean, this right here, this description is exactly how we obtain unity. You right. know, I mean, we're, we're being called to, to unify with the body, and this is how we do it right here. Yeah. And, you know, if you truly understand salvation, you know, we read chapter one, how we were saved by God. He chose us. We did nothing. We were dead in sin in chapter two. Then this is what should be produced from that. Right. This idea of being humble and meek mm -hmm. and lowly and, and having that patience with other people because you realize mm -hmm. God did this for me. I didn't do any of this for myself. So it humbles you, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, Look at, I wrote down here Philippians 2, 3, and 4. It says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Right. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And when you think about it, the flow of verses 2 and 3 is so well done here because, you know, when we do the things mentioned in verse 2, the lowliness, the meekness, the long-suffering, the result verse three. It result yeah. is verse three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, right? Totally. Yeah. And well, and I love it too, because you think about in the Old Testament, the examples of the people that God used. Moses, it says he was meek in Numbers 12, 3, says he was meek above all men. Mm. So he was humble and lowly. <laughs> David was a shepherd that God called to lead his people. Um, Solomon, when he prayed, he asked God for wisdom because he knew he wasn't wise enough to lead God's people. Paul calls himself the least of the apostles. These are the examples that are set up for us to, to follow in the footsteps of, right? Yeah. yeah. And you know what? You, you make an important note right here for verse three, Steve, you, you know, work to keep unified with those who are in Christ. And, and that's an important point to make because we don't want to be just unified with just everybody, right? right? We want to be unified in the truth. And we've talked about that before. Um, but unified in the, tr in the truth, that's, that's what's key because it's not about, 
uh, you know, being unified with everyone. Oh, oh, well, you know, hey, Allah's God, you know, right. you know and, and Buddha and oh, yeah, whoever, you know, let's just all get along and let's lock arms with one another and let's yeah. just, you know, try and we'll all get there in the end, right? That's not how we're unified. We're unified in the truth. Right, right for sure. And, you know, I also <laughs> want to take this chance to point out that this is a clear command that we are to be in fellowship to be in a church. Um, you know, I know me and Brandon both know that it is hard out there today, especially mm. in America, to find a solid Bible teaching church. But that is not an excuse to have this idea that, hey, I'm a solo Christian. I just do my own oh, thing. Yeah. I can't find a good Bible teaching church. We need to be unified with those that are in the truth. And you can yeah. find one. It may take some searching, but you can find one. And I want to take this chance to point out that this podcast is not meant to be a church. We are not pastors. We are just trying to teach through the word of God. Yeah, absolutely. So to your point about being unified in truth, you know, Christ during his priestly prayer in John 17, uh, I, I marked out here verse 17 to 21. He says, sanctify them through your truth, which is God's scripture through God's truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither do I pray for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, he's yeah. obviously asking God to fa- the Father to unify his people, but notice we're only sanctified and unified really through the truth. That's yeah. what binds us together. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you had a, a great blog on that, and which, you know, I'll plug that real quick, but you talked about this same stuff as well. And this is so so key for us to understand is, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit too, actually, as we get further down in, in chapter four, but you know, you, you speak the truth in love, right? but, but where truth and love intersect, I mean, truth has to win out. Right. Okay. So truth, they both work together. So it's not like one beats out the other. I mean, you're, you're always speaking the truth in love, but you should never sacrifice truth. truth just so you can be, you know, oh, I just need to make sure I'm over loving and I, I don't offend. Right. You know, you, there, there has to be truth. Yes. So. Amen. <clears throat> yeah. And to that point, you know, I wanted to take this chance that, yes, we're called for unity. But remember, Paul wrote other letters as well. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you look in verse 10 through 13, do you want to read those verses? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Paul says, now I beseech you, brethren. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul. And I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? 
was Paul crucified for you or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? You know, just a great, you know, Paul's really encouraging them, right? Not to be divided right. uh, over, you know, this person or that person. And, you know, that happens a lot today, doesn't it? Oh, you know, yeah. This pastor, that pastor, you know, the pastors, you know, ministries are like defined by who pastors them, right? I mean... Yeah, I think especially in an American culture, we like this like rock star, mm. like, oh, well, this guy's famous and I follow him and he's yeah. my pastor. But the pastor should always be pointing to Christ so that yeah. we are all unified knowing that, yes, I attend this church and this is one of the elders or this is the pastor that preaches here. But ultimately, I'm united with all my brothers and sisters because we all follow Christ. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have uh, I have uh, found some like through. Uh, I don't know if if any of you uh, have ever heard of an app. There's an application called Sermon Audio, and they uh, they they have a website too. And not every pastor on there is phenomenal, but if you really search out, you can find some really great pastors that are on there. And I have found some pastors who you know, just, they, they don't have a big name. They're, right. they're, they're just, they're small time guys, but man, they're, they're, they're preaching is phenomenal. I mean, they do such an amazing job. And these, these are guys you'd never know. You would never know existed, but their, their preaching is incredible. And, and they don't desire to have, you know, big names and stuff like that. I mean, they're just humble, just preaching the word of God. You right. Know? They're, they're pointing to Christ mm-hmm. and to the word instead of to themselves. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, I we've talked a lot about unity because these verses point to unity, but I do want to take this chance to point out and and Brandon made a good a point of it already that we are not to sacrifice truth for unity. Mm-hmm. And so I put a couple of verses in here. Remember, Paul wrote this about unity, but he also wrote these verses as well. Uh Titus chapter 3 verse 10 through 11, he says, "A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject mm-hmm. Knowing that he is such is sub- knowing that he that is such is subverted and sins being condemned of himself, and then uh, Galatians chapter one verse eight through ten. You want to take that one? Yeah, it says, "But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed." As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So obviously he has some strong language for people perverting the gospel, but notice the end there too. Well, and he's, cause he says like, even if we would come to preach the right. gospel to you, we're let us be accursed. Right. I mean, <laughs> and at the end, this is, this is what really happens is when we sacrifice truth in the name of quote love, mm. we're looking to please men instead of pleasing God. That's really yeah. what we're trying to do. And we call it love but it's more that we want to please them, right? Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, and I think that's a huge uh, issue for a lot of people is being man-pleasers, right. you know, and, and caring what other people think as opposed to what God thinks, yeah. right? Amen. And then the last one here, this is real strong language from John. Um, he says, if there come any to you 
and bring not this doctrine. Mm. Receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that bids him God's speed is a partaker of his evil deeds. Oh, that's pretty strong. Yeah. So, I mean, he's saying don't even say like God bless you to a false teacher or else you're partaking in that man's wickedness. Yeah. And I, this is a great uh, passage to, to show us too, that it's okay, you know, to, to not be, um, not, not that you're mean, right. but, but to not be overly hospitable to somebody who is a false teacher right. or is bringing, you know, some false religion or false doctrine. Uh, you don't need to, in fact, you shouldn't invite them into your home and, and be hospitable and provide them dinner and things like that. I mean, yeah, it, that's so, clearly what it's saying. So these are easy things in theory, yeah, but to put into practice, it can be hard. And I actually have had to do this at the Bible study at my house years ago. We oh, had a gentleman come yeah. in, and he was spouting off just heretical doctrine. And I actually had to take him to lunch one on one, and sit him down and explain to him, like, here's where you're wrong on these points, and here's why I can't let you come into our Bible study and teach these things. Yeah, and he refused, and so I had to politely ask him, like okay, well, you, you can't come back to study then if you're not going to yeah. stop saying these things. And it, yeah. it was hard. I mean, me and Brandon aren't sitting here telling you like, hey, all this stuff is super easy. You should be able to do it. But sometimes we've got mm-hmm. to do the hard thing if it's right for God. Well, and then even too, like on a, there, there's, there's a truth about this, obviously on an individual level, but even on the church level, I mean, some churches don't even do this. I mean, they, they don't want to rock the boat with some people. I mean, church, we should be praying for our church leadership, that yeah. they have wisdom and discernment, and they can identify when there's somebody in the church who is just whacked out, you know, <laughs> spreading false stuff. And, you know, we, we laugh, but the, I don't know if we've mentioned it before, but, you know, the, the church that we had attended, uh, Steve and I attended together previously before the churches that we're at now, um, there was a man in the church who uh, believed, genuinely believed that he was an apostle. And and as we're going to get into later, you know, we the, the, the office of apostle has ended. It's ceased. It's no right. longer uh, in use. But this man believed he was an apostle. And, you know, our, our leadership had to, you know, speak with him for a long time. They, they, they talked to him for, they had many, many, many meetings, uh, with this gentleman and he would not, would not back down. And, and thankfully our church leadership did ask him to leave the church, but came to find out that he's done this at other churches and he kind of bounced around. And so, you know, I, I think church leadership needs to be, you know, identifying people like that and saying, you know what, you're, you're way off base, try to correct them. And if they're not, if they're just not having it, they need to be put out of the church and not welcome. Right. You know, and in the, the whole idea of church discipline like that is in hopes that they come to their senses and repent. So, you know, you read about that in Corinthians when they had Paul told him to put him out of the church. Mm -hmm. He said that basically it's because you want them to come back, but in right standing. So the next section, uh, verse four, um, actually I'll just read four, four, five, and six because it 
kind of all goes together here. It says, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Yeah, so there's a whole lot of ones here. No twos or threes, right? <laughs> yeah, so he first starts out with one body. And what, what does he mean by that? Well, um, we're talking about the, the unification of the body of Christ, unified by Christ, right? right? Unified in Christ, in the gospel, right? Right. And this is not just a, a a localized thing he's talking about. I mean, this is across the whole world, right? right? Across the entire world, all Christians are a part of one body, right? Which is interesting because in chapter 3, verse 15, in our last segment, he said, of the whole family in heaven and right. earth. So Christians in heaven, Christians on earth, Christians across the whole right. globe, we are all united as one family in Christ. Right. Right. And then next he says one spirit. So, you know, this talking about the Holy Spirit, there's one spirit of God, right? Right. And that's the Holy Spirit that regenerates us, adds mm-hmm. us to the church, but he also keeps us. He empowers us for ministry, ministry, causes us to persevere. He dwells in us. I mean, he, the Holy Spirit leads us to be convicted mm-hmm. of sin. He makes us alive in God, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Matthew Henry, again, uh, has a great quote here. And he said, um, okay, actually, so before I read this quote, let me uh, let me explain something really quick, because if I don't, it might sound confusing. Uh, I want to explain the term, uh, the word Catholic or Catholic is another way to say it. Um, the, the, that word is in and of itself not like the Catholic, it's not a, it's not a bad Roman word Catholic church yeah. yeah it's not a bad word right um so it's the the word catholic or catholic universal. yeah universal or uh, collaborative you know right. so um now the roman catholic church is the collaborative Different. you know universal church of rome right um so it's not but it's not bad to say catholic church because it just means the collective or or universal church of god as well so so when matt i wanted to explain that because matthew henry uses that term here and he's not he's not talking about roman catholicism so um so he says quote the catholic church is one mystical body of christ and all good christians make up one body incorporated by one charter, that of the gospel, animated by one spirit, the same Holy Spirit, who by his gifts and graces quickens, enlivens, and governs that body. If we belong to Christ, we are all actuated by one and the same spirit, and therefore should be one. That's awesome. I mean, we can't really say much better than that, right? Yeah. Yeah. One body that is Christ, one spirit, this, that's the Holy Spirit, you know, right. and, and we're all unified by that, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, he says here too, at the end of verse four, he says, um, even as ye are called in uh, one hope of your calling, mm-hmm. and you know the hope of our calling is is that heavenly inheritance, right. right? It's that heavenly hope, right? Yeah. In First John chapter three, verse one through three, this is what he says: Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world does not know us 
because it did not know him. Beloved, Mm. now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for Mm. we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So that is Mm. the hope. Christ's return, the renewal of our bodies, mm. sin is done away with, right? Absolutely. Amen. Yeah. Amen to that. And then verse five, he says, one Lord. I mean, they, this could only be speaking of Christ, right? Christ right. is the head of the church. Right. Right. It is not the Pope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, for, for... Anytime we talk about the head of the church, we always have to throw the Pope under yeah, the bus. Yeah. Because <laughs> the Pope does claim to be head of the church. And if you want more information on that, you could go to our uh, topical study on the Antichrist, the man of sin, the beast of revelation. Um, and that'll right. give you more info on that. Um, and then he also mentions one faith. Yeah. So there's no split. There's no different religion. There's no other ways mm. to God. There's only one true faith in the world. It's just the gospel. Right. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is it. Yeah, there are not many ways to God. Uh, you know, Allah and the God of the Bible are not the same no. God. Uh, there is and no the, other avenue. The God that Judaism worships mm. today yeah. is not the God of the Bible because right. Jesus Christ is the word of God. He is right. God and they are not worshiping him. Yeah. So I, this idea that Judaism and Islam and Christianity share the same God is not true. Yeah. John chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but through me. Right. right? That's and, it. And it's clear, cut, and dry. John said in First John that anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ is the spirit of Antichrist. So any yeah. religion that denies Jesus Christ is the Messiah and is God mm. is a spirit of Antichrist. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, you mean like when um, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth had the painting that said, I am the way, the truth, and life. Pope, Pope Benedict. Benedict. Yeah. Name, yeah. Named him... Do wow. you think that do you think that constitutes antichrist? I would say so. <laughs> when you take the names of Christ to yourself, right? Um, then he goes on. He says, "There's one baptism." Now, un- under Judaism, the law there were different types of washing and mm. so you know baptisms. But yeah. in the covenant we are under today, the new covenant, there is only one type of baptism that you enter the community in, right? Yeah. I mean, when we're born again, we're all baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, right. that, and that physical baptism, you know, although not necessary for salvation, it is an act of worship. Right. And it is something and it's that a we, command. we are commanded to do it in the scripture. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So... You know, there, there's always that debate, you know, are you saved without baptism? Well, why even debate it? If you're right. commanded by God that if you believe you need to get baptized, then just go get baptized. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we sometimes, yeah, I don't think that there's churches put enough emphasis on that. I mean, it it is commanded. And right. so, you know, repent and be baptized. Right. Uh, Not know. repent and do an altar call. No, no, I don't see altar calls in Bow your head and raise your hand. hand. Raising, yeah, I don't see that anywhere, but I do see repent and be baptized. And uh, yeah, it, it's... I, I, you it's know what? Of, I apologize. I said that flippantly. But, you know, today in America, a lot of these different like uh, traditions of man mm, have replaced yeah. what God has commanded. So there's this debate about, are you saved without baptism? And 
Well, that's because instead of doing baptisms, people are doing altar calls and hand raising and all this other stuff that is not biblical. Biblically, yeah. if you preach and people are, are want to come to the Lord, you should command yeah. baptism at that ceremony. No, yeah, and I, I, it is an important thing to discuss and talk about because the thing is, is, is so many um, people are, are kind of fooled into thinking and because so many uh, churches have taught it for so long, like you say, it's kind of a tradition now that, you know, you all you need to do is just say a prayer. Right. All you need to do. And here's the thing. There's so much manipulation in that, too. Like, even the altar calls, because you, you, you're telling people, hey, if you want to make a profession of faith, you, all you need to do is walk down the aisle. All right. you need to do is come up here. And it's a manipulation because, you know, there is something called the power of suggestion. And and when people see other people walking up, it's like, oh, well, you know, everybody else is doing it. Right. And there's a lot of people doing it. And I feel like, okay, I guess More I feel comfortable, comfortable to go and, and walk up there. And it takes away from, uh, you know, the, the true... Uh, salvation experience that happens within a person's heart. It's, it's all, it's falsified. It's, it's just kind of, uh, you know, puffed up and, yeah. and made, made pretty. And it's not, it's like, that's not what uh, a conversion is. You know, we're told clearly it's repent and believe and be baptized. That's what we see from scripture. Yeah. And sadly, some of these churches are planting people oh, in yeah. the crowd and telling them, hey, when I say this, I need you, even though you're already a Christian and you're already saved, I need you to get up and walk up here and make a profession so that it makes other people comfortable to do the same. I don't know if I ever told you this before. Maybe I did. But I was asked to do that <laughs> once. And so the church that uh, we attended long ago uh, there was a pastor there. Uh, he was an assistant pastor who, in the end, turned out to, you know, things happened and he he was asked to leave the church, rightly so. But I was asked by him one time when they were going to do an altar call, and it was because they were having somebody speak at the church. And this person speaking was going to do an altar call. The current pastor at that time didn't even like altar calls because he said, like we're saying, I don't, I don't see that in scripture anymore. Right. But this guest speaker was going to do an altar call. And this associate pastor asked me and a handful of other men if we would seed the altar call. <laughs> And I was blown away, as were these other men that were asked, that absolutely blown away. Obviously, none of us did it, but we right. just couldn't believe you know, how manipulative that is. It's disgusting. Yeah, absolutely well, a disgusting. lot of this stuff today is salesmanship. You yeah. know, we're get, kind of getting off track here, but, yeah, but, you know, they know what music to play. They know when to ask for these things because they build you into this emotional frenzy. Anyways, the main point of this is that we need to cut out these traditions that have been added. And Paul's making it clear here. There's one baptism, and that is entry into the covenant community of God. That's what we've been commanded to do. Yeah, absolutely. So he says, you know, one Lord, uh, one faith. That's what we talked about right. that. One baptism. He said, one God and Father of all. Um, you know, who, who is above all. So he has dominion over all creatures, right? right? Over all things. Yeah, I 
Psalm 96.5 said, For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. So mm. there are no other gods. You, you know, we mentioned right. he's not Allah. He's not any of this other stuff. And then, you know, this idea of above all, it made me reflect back on when I was younger and I, I grew up Roman Catholic and I was always made to feel like God had a rival in Satan, that mm. like Satan could mess up God's plans yeah. and he was running amok. And, you know, it wasn't until I read the Bible that I realized that God's yeah. above and controlling and sovereign over all things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is important too when it says, you know, the father of all, you know, all things are created by him and ruled by him. You right. know, there's not... We have no other father as much as, you know, the Roman Catholic Church would like to say right. uh, that we, you know, have a father in the priests, but we don't. And Jesus even said, you know, call no man your father. Right. I mean, because you have one father and that is the God of heaven, the, right. the God of heaven and earth. He is our only true father. Right? And everything comes from him, whether we're fed, whether we're clothed, mm -hmm. uh, children that we have. The Bible talks about how even the animals are fed by God. Yeah. And then there's this idea of through all, right? Yeah. Through all, you know, think about, you know, God is, uh, of, uh, he is divinely uh, uh, decreed all things. And not, not just that, though, because when we talk about God's decree, you know, that's how he's, he's divinely planned all things. But he's also... Uh, divinely providential over all things, you know, his divine providence, he, he works throughout history to bring all things, uh, you know, together to his will and he upholds and governs all things, right? right? Nothing happens without God's consent right. and control. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, and then he says, uh, you know, in you all, you know, he, he indwells all believers, which are Believers are collectively together his holy temple, right? right? We yeah. are the holy temple of God. Which is what he covered in chapter two, toward the end, middle to the end of the chapter, that we are built up to be a temple to God. Yeah. Um, I think it's at the very end of the chapter, he says in verse 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he talks about us as being the temple of God, and God dwells within us. Yeah, I'll finish that actually right there in verse 21 and 22. It says, In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, right? In whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Yeah. So, yeah, we are the temple of God, and, and God indwells us, and... Um, and so this is this has been a great uh, section, and uh, I think that's it for us here on this section, right? Uh, we've we've covered verses one through six, and uh, and then verse uh, verses uh, seven through sixteen is what we're going to cover next, and we've got a lot to to discuss in there as well. But that will do it for us on this segment of Modern Berean. And uh, when we join next time, like I say, we'll pick up in verse 7 continue from there. So until next time, may God bless you and keep you in Jesus' name. <laughs>